And again, look at two men and their destinies. Now, last week, as everyone was leaving, Miss Pauline Tarpley came up to me and said, Well, if there was anybody visiting this week, you probably run them off with that message. <laughs> and, you know, I got to thinking about it, and, and she was probably right. You know, that message was kind of depressing. So this morning, I pray that your spirits are going to be lifted as we in, and continue this message entitled, Eternity, What Awaits You When You Die? In these verses of Luke chapter 16, we find the story of two men and what happens to them after they die. And in this passage, we're given a clear picture of a most basic biblical truth. That is, there are only two possible destinations after you die. It's either heaven or hell. It's either one or the other. And each one of those possible destinations is just as real and just as eternal as the other. But if we judged by what's said at most funerals, you'd think everybody was going to heaven. It seems that preachers get in the habit of trying to preach all of the deceased into heaven. And I'm sorry to tell you, friend, that's just not the case. It's even been reported that for every single American that thinks they're going to hell when they die, there's 120 Americans that think they're going to heaven when they die. Yet, as Randy Alcorn says, heaven is not our default destination. Heaven is not our default destination. No one goes to heaven automatically. So, until our sin problem is resolved, we need to come to the understanding that there's only one true, one true default destination. And that's hell. The bottom line is this. If we don't surrender our lives to Jesus Christ while we're living this life, then we're heading for eternal separation and a place of torment in the next. It's just that simple. But today is not a depressing message. Today is an uplifting message. And so we're going to look at what we can understand about heaven in Luke chapter 16. Let's begin again in verse 19, where we find that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. Now, what's fared sumptuously mean? That's right. He ate good. Amen. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the rich person's gate. Desiring just to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was when the beggar died that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. What does that mean? Where did he go? He went to heaven. Amen. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, where's Hades? Say it again. Being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried. And he cried. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, help us to realize that there are only two destinations after we finish with this life on earth. And Lord, help us to make the conscious choice to choose heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the people of God said, Amen. So this morning we're going to examine the fate of Lazarus as he woke up in a wonderful place called heaven. Now, Scripture teaches us the fate of all believers in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, where the Bible says, Then dust shall return to earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. That's a pretty good summation of what happens to the believer at death. The body will return to dust as it was given by the earth, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. There is no soul sleep. There's no in-between. It's either one or the other. When the spirit is separated from the body, then the body remains behind temporarily, and it does not matter if it's buried. It does not matter if that body is cremated. It does not matter if that body is lost at sea. But some may ask this. How can God raise the dead if the body's been destroyed? Well, that's a pretty good question. How can God raise the dead if that body has been destroyed? But you really have to think about that for a second. If you can raise the dead... You can raise the dead, amen? <laughs> I mean, if you can raise the dead, you can raise the dead, right? It doesn't matter whether you're dust, whether you're ashes, whether you're lost or found. God can raise you. But I want you to see in these verses that Lazarus and the rich man both have a conscious existence immediately after they died. And that goes along with so many other verses in the Bible, like, for instance... Do you remember Jesus telling that dying thief on the cross? You remember what he said? He said, today, say today. Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Immediately. Paul stated in, one, in Philippians 1.23 that for him to die was gain. And he said, to die for him was to be with Christ. Immediately. And remember what we said about 2 Corinthians 5.8, where the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the, with the Lord immediately. And according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the bodies of those believers who have died will await the day where the Lord will return from heaven with a shout. And when that trumpet sounds, the graves are going to be split wide open. And disintegrated molecules are going to be reformed into glorified bodies. Who here understands that? Good. If you understand it, would you tell me? Yes. 
Because I don't fully understand that, amen? All I know is what I know, and the Bible says it, that disintegrated molecules of our bodies are going to be reformed into glorified bodies, and that way we shall live for all eternity. That excites me. But these verses lay a firm foundation about what happens to our loved ones when they die. Abraham's bosom, or paradise, or heaven, is the place where the souls of the believing dead go. It's the soul of a place of comfort. It's heaven. And we find that when Lazarus dies there, his body goes into the grave, but his soul, his spirit, rise to be present with the Lord in paradise, in heaven. Hades, on the other hand, is a place of torment where the souls of the wicked go. And the rich man dies and he awakes in hell, the place that all go who have not placed their trust in God. They all go there if they have not trusted Christ. So, when a believer dies, their body goes into the grave to await that resurrection that the Bible talks about, and their soul and spirit go immediately to be with the Lord in heaven. On the other hand, when an unbeliever dies, their body goes into the grave for good, for good, and their soul and spirit sadly go to hell. And then one day in the future, after the judgment that we talked about, the great white judgment of Christ, Hades and everyone in it, hell and all its inhabitants will be cast into the lake of fire, which is a place reserved for Satan and all who follow him. Wow, that's a lot to stomach in one little message. But we also find here in that little passage that in between those two is a great gulf fixed. Jesus says that there's this great chasm, this great in-between place where no one lives and no one can cross that great chasm for any circumstance. It's just a great empty void. So I think we have a pretty good grasp on what happens when the believer dies. So today I want to take a few minutes to attempt to briefly answer three questions concerning heaven. One, what is it? What is heaven? Two, what will we do when we get there? And three, how do we get there? Let's look at that first question. Heaven, what will we find when we get there? In his book entitled Heaven, Randy Alcorn makes a good point. Uh, he's saying that, that books about heaven are notorious for saying that we can't know what heaven is like. That heaven is more wonderful than we can ever imagine. Anybody ever heard that before? Oh, I've heard that all my life. Paul even says, and he reinforces that theme, that in 1 Corinthians 2.9 he says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That supports that theme, doesn't it? But we can't do scripture plucking, can we? Got to read the context, for in verse 10, listen to this. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. Wow. The Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God does explain some of what heaven is like. The Word of God does tell us a little bit about what heaven is like. So God does tell us about heaven enough of, that we need to understand, enough that we can anticipate 
the good things that are coming to those who believe. So for the believer, when his earthly life is over, we as God's children will be able to come home. How many people have heard of heaven referred to as home? Amen, I have too. Home, praise God for home. God's children will be able to come home. But in a very real sense, for the first time. Come home for the first time. And if heaven is our home, that means it has to have all the qualities that we associate from being home. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In other words, I'm going to prepare a home for you. Some of the word says that he's going to prepare a mansion for you, a dwelling place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, he said. He didn't say I'm going to an indescribable place. He didn't say that I'm going to a place that has no physical property. Jesus didn't say that you're going to come there in a disembodied spirit somehow. He didn't say that you're going to be floating around in heaven. He didn't say you're going to have wings. He didn't say you're going to turn into an angel. He didn't say that you're going to come to a place that's nothing at all like home. No. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a dwelling place, a home place, if you will. And I don't know how many times in my life that I've heard of heaven described as home. Home, used to describe heaven. It's used to describe heaven for a reason, friend. A real good reason. It's not just a figure of speech. It describes a real, actual, physical place. Friend, I'm telling you that heaven is for real. Heaven is a real, physical place. Heaven is a place where we're going to share with our loved ones who have preceded us in death. But heaven is also a home place where we'll share with those who will follow us after death. It's a place, friend, where we're going to experience great comfort. It's a place where we're going to experience great well-being. It's a place where we're going to experience protection. All those things are true of home, aren't they? A place of comfort. I remember when I used to go to my grandma's house, the best place in the whole house was right in the living room floor underneath the ceiling fan. That's where everybody huddled and took their naps, right there under the ceiling fan. Why? Because it was comfortable. It was comfortable. How many of you know that home is a place where you feel protected? When you're home, nobody's going to get to you. You're in your own place, and nobody's going to get to you. So it's a place of comfort and of uh, well-being and protection. And like home, heaven's going to be a place of wonderful conversation. When you go home for, after not being there for a long time, man, it's, it feels great just to get caught up. I love to, me and mom can just sit for hours and talk about nothing, it seems like. Uh, you just go and experience wonderful conversation. You go and you can have just meaningful meditation. I love going home and just wandering around the pond. Just experiencing the place and meditating and being by myself at home. Home. It's a place of delicious smells. Now, I can't speak for your house, but when I go home, that place smells good. Amen? Because mom's always up to something in the kitchen. It always smells good there. It always smells good at home, and it's always got wonderful food, amen? Think about it. When we get to heaven, it's going to be like a nonstop BMW. If you've never experienced Bethel Meals on Wheels here on Sunday nights, you need to. Some of the best cooking you'll ever eat comes to this place 
on Sunday nights at BMW. And not only will we experience delicious smells and wonderful food, I think, but I think we're also going to have opportunities to continue using the gifts that God gave us. See, the gifts that God gave us are not just for here. We're going to continue using those gifts in heaven. That means I get to preach every day. Amen? I won't need to, but I'll get to. Amen? Be able to just testify of God's wonderful goodness. And he'll allow me to use our God-given gifts. So, what will we find there? Let me ask, or let me try to address four questions real quickly about heaven. One, what will we look like? What will we look like in heaven? Well, all I can really tell you is, is that you're going to look like yourself. Gerald, I'm sorry, you ain't getting no better looking than you are right now, brother. <laughs> Amen? That's it. Why will we look like ourselves? Well, because we're going to be ourselves. It's going to be us. It's going to be your personality. It's going to be who God made you to be. And, you know, the problem is, is that we need to get it through our heads once and for all that when we get to heaven, we're not going to magically turn into angels. How many people have heard that in their lifetime? When you get to heaven, you're going to turn into an angel. Amen? I hear that a lot. It's just not the case. We don't turn into angels just because we die. Angels were created angels. Human beings were created human beings. And they're just two different kinds of creation. All right? Will we know each other in heaven? What do you think? Will we know each other in heaven? I think certainly. If anything, I think we're going to know each other better. If anything, we're going to be even closer than we are here. We're going to know each other better. Think about when Elijah and Moses met Jesus on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples saw them, and they knew who they were, and I don't think they were wearing name tags. They knew that was Moses and Elijah. Will we remember our lives on earth? That's a question that's often asked. What do you think? Think we will? Well, let me share this verse with you first, and then I'll let you answer. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So do you think we're going to remember our lives on earth? Well, that's what one would think, and that's what a lot of people use. They use that verse to tell you, you won't remember your life on earth. But what they don't tell you is the next verse tells you that it's God that's doing the forgetting. Not people. Yeah, you're going to remember your life on earth. That verse is basically saying, I choose to not remember your sins anymore. I choose not to, God says. I choose not to call to mind your failures and your sin. I choose not to hold your past sins against you. That's what that verse means. So I believe we will remember our lives on earth and the relationships that we experienced. Do those in heaven know what's happening here? What do you think? That's a hard one, isn't it? We can only look at the Word of God. In Hebrews 12, 1, the Bible says that we are to run with perseverance this race that's marked out for us, knowing that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. A great cloud of people who are watching us. 
The saints of old have not only left us as examples, but I believe that they're also kind of standing on the sidelines, cheering us on. There's a poem that I often share at funerals, and it expresses what it's going to be like when we arrive in heaven. It's entitled, Just Think. Just think of stepping on a shore and finding it heaven. Just think of taking hold of a hand and finding it God's hand. Just think of breathing new air and finding it to be heavenly air. Just think of somehow feeling more alive and finding out it's because you're immortal. Just think of waking it up, waking up, and finding out your home. What a great word for heaven. Home. If heaven is like home, then we need to understand it's not what's in the house that makes it home. It's whom is in the house that makes it home. As we get older, more and more people who we're close to go on to heaven. And when we consider those people who are populating heaven, heaven is no longer about what the streets have made of, or what the streets are made of. What do people say? Or what does the Bible say the streets are made of? Gold. But you know what? That don't really matter to me. I'm not so, so concerned about what the streets are made of or what the gates are made of. I'm more concerned about the people I'm going to see there. I'm more concerned about the person that I'm going to see there. People that we love and miss. People that are precious to us. People who have gone on before us. People we long to see again. Think for a moment of all the saints of all the ages that are already there. Think for a moment about your own special list of people you're going to find there. And then think about greater than all that. Think about your Lord and Savior who's going to be waiting to receive you there. Yeah, heaven's home. And we're going to find heaven to be precious indeed. What will we find there? We'll find it to be home. Next question is heaven. What are we going to do there? What will we do there? According to a 1997 Time Magazine poll, 43% of Americans believe we're going to play the harp in heaven. Is anybody here going to be playing the harp in heaven? Do you really want me to be playing the harp in heaven? 36% believe that we're going to have halos in heaven. I ain't seeing none now, amen? I didn't see one as I was shaving this morning. But harps and halos are never connected. They're never mentioned in the Bible in connection to heaven or believers, what they're doing in heaven. The only things we know about heaven are the things revealed in this book. That's the only thing that's trustworthy. It's the only thing that we can place our faith in. Everything else is just speculation. Everything else is just hearsay and can't be trusted. Make no mistake, friend. One of Satan's greatest tactics is feeding us a line of bull. 
One of his greatest tactics is feeding us a line of bull that contains unworthy, dull, and distorted views of heaven. He wants to get you to the place where you won't tell nobody about Jesus. Because in your eyes, the idea of heaven is no better than your concept of hell. Why bother? It's one of the greatest tactics of heaven. And that's why people, that's why Christians, that's why believers don't tell more people about Jesus. In all reality, if you think about it, in all reality, it just really don't matter to them. One's as good as the other. You ever heard this before? Yeah, I'm going to go to hell where all my friends are. We're going to party. What a sad, distorted view of hell. In his book entitled, The Journey of Desire, John Eldridge writes, Nearly every Christian has some idea that eternity is a never-ending church service. We can't get people to come here for an hour. Would you want to spend an eternity doing it? Nearly every Christian has that distorted view that eternity in heaven is going to be this ongoing sing-along song where we're singing to God. And when we think about that, our heart sinks. We think, Forever and ever I'm going to be doing this? That's it? This is all it's going to be? My goodness. Is this the good news? That I'll be doing this for all eternity in heaven? They think about that and they lose heart. Friend, I think we're going to be worshiping. I think we're going to be doing a lot of worshiping because we're going to have a lot to worship, amen, in Jesus Christ. But that's not all we're going to be doing. We're not just going to be worshiping and honoring and praising God. For one of the things I think we're going to continue to do is we're going to continue to learn. In heaven, we're going to continue to grow. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2. Where the Apostle Paul says, and he raised us up together, going to make us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that in the ages to come, he might show, say show, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That word show means to reveal. To reveal in a progressive, ongoing way. What does that mean, Brother Bill? That means it's going to take a whole eternity to show you the exceeding abundant riches of the glory of God and the grace of God and kindness towards you. All of eternity. Paul Harvey has made a, a career out of telling the rest of the story. In heaven, you're going to be hearing the rest of the story. For all eternity, you're going to be hearing the rest of the story, and it will never, ever get old. You're going to be like that kid. Daddy, tell me that story. 
again. Tell me that story. Tell me the rest of the story. We're going to be blown, blown away. We're going to be absolutely stunned about how God has orchestrated the events of our lives to influence people in their life. You know, occasionally I get an email or a Facebook post or a text or even a face-to-face -face comment about how somebody has learned something from a message or how God has brought a message to them just in the nick of time, just at a time when they really needed the help. And I tell you what, that always blesses me. You want to put a smile on my face? Do that. Amen. I'm always encouraged when people's lives are changed by the Word of God. Well, in heaven, you're going to hear nonstop. Say nonstop. You're going to hear nonstop testimonies of how God used every one of you to bless people's lives. He's going to give you nonstop testimonies of how God has used you to change people's lives. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to smile. You're going to be blessed. And you're going to be encouraged. Do you remember that old Ray Bolt song entitled, Thank You for Giving to the Lord? I'd sing it for, me, for you, but you don't want that. Amen. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And in that song, Ray envisions this beautiful scene in heaven. It's a scene where one by one, individuals are coming up to you and they're telling you how your life somehow touched their lives for God. One after another, after another, after another. What great stories are awaiting you in heaven if you'll just be faithful. What great stories are waiting for you in heaven if you'll just not grow weary in living for the Lord. So we've seen what we'll find in heaven. We've seen a little of what we will do in heaven. Now we need to know how do we get to heaven. There's a 100-year-old tombstone in an Indiana cemetery that says, pause, stranger, when you go by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Years later, an unknown passerby came by and etched his own words onto that tombstone. And this is what he wrote. To follow you, I'm not content. Until I know which way you went. <laughs> the sobering news about heaven is this. Friend, it's not true that all roads lead to heaven. It's not true that all roads lead to heaven. It's not true that all religions go to heaven. It's not true. But can we know for sure? Can we know for sure that we have eternal life? Can we know for sure that we're going to heaven? Yes, we can. You remember what I shared with you last week? 1 John 5, 13, where the Bible says, I write these things to you. I write these things to you who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that you may know 
that you have eternal life. You can know. You can know that heaven is your home. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. But be reminded, you will not go there automatically. Be reminded that you will not go there by accident. You will only go to heaven by a conscious choice. Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me, he shall be saved. You better make a conscious choice to enter through that door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Friend, you better make a conscious choice to follow his way. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess, if you speak with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. Friend, let me tell you what, you better make a conscious choice to speak with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and call upon the name of the Lord while you still have opportunity. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent a life preserver to save those of us who were dying in an ocean of sin. That includes me, and that includes you. But friend, in order to be saved from that ocean of sin, in order to be saved from drowning in that ocean of sin, we must make the choice to grab hold of that life preserver. That life preserver who is God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Have you entered through the door? Have you followed the way? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you believed in your heart that he rose from the grave? Have you called upon the name of the Lord, the only name by which you must be saved? Friend, if you haven't made the choice for Christ, God wants you to know that he wants you in heaven and he wants you to make the choice today. Father, thank you so much for sending that life preserver. That life preserver, Jesus Christ, your Son, that saved me from the ocean of sin that I was drowning in. Lord, thank you for the place you're preparing for me and all believers who have placed their faith in your Son, called upon His name, believed in their heart that you raised Him from the dead. Lord, I pray, if there's one, even one, that hasn't made that confession, hasn't called upon the name of the Lord to save him or her, Lord, don't let today pass 
Don't let them drown. Encourage them, Lord. Speak to them in their ear. Speak to them in their spirit. Help them to know how bad you want them there. Lord, tell them how much you want them home. Lord, help them lead them to make that conscious decision, that choice for Jesus before time is everlastingly too late. Let them glorify you and let us all honor you as your children. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said,